This week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast, podcast. MJF says his contract is still up at the end of 2023. But is it though? Wrestling's favorite lawyer, Stephen P. New, confirms that he represented both CM Punk and Ace Steel in the brawl out litigation. The road dog made humble not by the Iron Sheik, but by the return of CM Punk. And Santa Claus brings all the presents to all the good. And Santa Claus brings presents to all the good girls and all the good boys. I'm your host, Seth Grimes, and this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. What the fuck is up, everybody? Welcome. Welcome on into another episode of the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. I am your boy, Seth Grimes. And as you watch this, this video will be dropping the week of Christmas, if not on Christmas Day itself. Christmas Eve, perhaps. Who knows? I am getting an early start on it. The best that I can here and then relaxing for the rest of the holidays. Uh, update, there will be no show for the weekend of New Year's. I had decided to do a Christmas episode, but I will not be uh, able to produce one for New Year's. So just a programming tip there. Uh, also, I do have a bonus video, a special video that I had posted to YouTube uh, yesterday as I record this, which is 10 Ways to Fix AEW. It is a long half-hour in-depth kind of analysis of the problems going on with AEW currently and how to go about fixing them. So cheap plug for that. That will be at the end cap of this video, too. If you forget, it'll be there to like click and watch next or whatever. But enough about that. Let's go ahead and open all of your presents early as we jump on into our first topic here. But, oh, hold up. Before we do, uh, Santa would greatly appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button down below. That would greatly help him out as he's uh, delivering presents to uh, children and such. But enough about that. Let's go ahead and jump on into our first clip, a shorter episode this week, less clips than usual, but still great clips, like the haircut place, right? Last week, I put out a clip of Ace Steel finally breaking his silence about what really happened, or at least what he was legally able to tell at the brawl out situation where he jumped in to help CM Punk, to come to CM Punk's defense in the big backstage brawl with the Elite. And that's basically all we know, and that's basically all he could tell. But he did add one little gem to say that Stephen P. New, pro wrestling's favorite lawyer, Stephen P. New, Stephen P. New, Stephen P. New, you can't mention his name without thinking of the song. Great marketing. Stephen P. New actually represented Ace Steel, according to Ace Steel himself. Check out this brief clip. 
you don't fuck with family. <laughs> you just don't. You just don't. And uh, we came out just fine. And I have a great lawyer, Stephen P. New. Stephen P. New. Oh, really? He's the wow. man. Let's just put that in the world. Wow. And Stephen P. New is a uh, he's he's a gem. He is for the wrestlers. He's for the boys. He's for on the right side of the world. So I will give him all the praise in the world while I'm sitting here smiling. And now that your memory is refreshed, what I did in that episode, uh, because Ace Steel had mentioned, you know, he can't really talk much about it, but Stephen P. New and Jim Cornette had basically said exactly what happened. So go listen to them. And I went out and I searched out a year-old clip of Stephen P. New talking about the brawl-out situation. Well, if I had only waited just a week... Stephen Pinu jumped on the podcast scene and did the House of Kayfabe podcast, which I think is his podcast, his wrestling podcast, along with some other guy. And uh, he confirmed exactly what Ace Steele said. He confirmed the rumors were true and that not only did he represent Ace Steele in the brawl out litigation, but he also represented CM Punk himself. Check out this clip. And now, finally, after over a year, we can talk about Stephen P. New being the lawyer, one of the attorneys for CM Punk and A. Steele, and your relationship with them started how many days after the brawl out? About two months. CM Punk got my phone number texted me and uh, was just able from that point forward, you know, and, and Punk had a legal team already, a steal, not so much. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about different things and uh, just want to tell you, I, I'm greatly limited what I can say uh, just like uh, Ace was on another podcast recently but I, I think Ace said it best, though. Uh, my job in the months that followed uh, Brawl Out, uh, you know, up through the returns and, and everything like that was to just look out for their best interest. And I'll, I'll always do that. I really can't say a whole lot else. I really wish for the people that watch this show, uh, I'm, I'm not going to breach any privileges to my clients, first and foremost. I take that very seriously. And number two, uh, you know, they're subject, I'm subject to NDAs and confidentiality agreements, things like that. So none of the particulars I can get into. What I would like to say, though, Steve, is that from all of that, from all of that, those two are two of the most stand-up greatest guys that I've ever known, particularly around the pro wrestling industry, which can get a little carny at times. Both those guys are straight shooters. Both those guys are honest to a fault. And, you know, both those guys are loyal, fiercely loyal to one another and, and the people within their camp. And it became readily apparent that we were going to be good friends, that, you know, I could provide an outsider's perspective on what they had to deal with and some legal expertise as, as someone who's had this connection to the pro wrestling business 
uh, both as a fan, you know, I, I understand the, the stuff. I know who the personalities are. Uh, and from representing some other folks, uh, I had some information that uh, hadn't been previously known, let's say. So not a lot of information coming out from this, not a lot of new information, but at least we can put to bed the rumor that the, uh, oh, I can't talk about it because of litigation that Tony Khan always likes to drop uh, is in fact true. There is indeed non-disclosure agreements across the board or gag orders across the board where nobody can talk about the incident. CM Punk can't, a steel can't. Uh, Stephen P. New apparently cannot talk about it, but he is able to admit that he litigated the case and that he did represent both Ace and Punk and talk about a little bit how he got involved in this. And as a wrestling fan, he did mention this in the interview as well. This is a dream case to pick up as a wrestling fan. Imagine you're just a big old fucking Mark as a, as a lawyer. And, and you get the case of the wrestling century lands in your fucking lap. Of course, you're going to jump on that. And uh, look, Stephen P. New apparently came out on top because Punk got his release uh, or got fired or whatever the case may be. It was a, a non-conditional release. He was gone. He didn't have to pay anything back. He didn't have to. There was no drama. So just a clean break. And he steals out there, and he says he's doing fine as well. He's an agent for TNA now. Uh, fun little interview with Stephen P. New. I had to. I thought this was funny because I, you know, just last week, like I said, we covered this, and I had to dig and find a Stephen P. New clip where he addressed the subject. So it was fun that he was able to talk about it here this week. I believe Cornette mentioned it as well. Kind of confirmed. Um, so definitely, I guess if you, you know, if you need representation in the wrestling business, Stephen P. New is your guy. I would not expect to hear much more about the brawl out situation with the non-disclosure agreements in place. Uh, I don't think the NDAs, you know, I don't think that anybody's going to be able to give any more detail than has already gotten out. Uh, but as I covered on last week's episode, we were able to pretty much put together what happened. Uh, you know, the only thing that's really in question is how the Young Bucks entered the room. Did they kick in the door hostily? Why are you talking shit, bro? Or were they like, mm, hey, Mr. Phil, could we speak with you just a minute? And Phil just started punching people. Who knows? That much is, uh, you know, that one is up for your interpretation. Up in how you want to decide how things went. But everything else is pretty much exactly how it went. Larry the dog escaped with his life. Barely. Just barely. Poor puppo. That's it. That's all I got for this one. Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Did you listen to the Stephen P. New interview? Would you call Stephen P. New to represent you in your litigation? I guarantee if I was ever at a wrestling show and like John Moxley like bled on me or something, I'm calling Stephen P. New. I'm getting a payday out of that shit. I ain't fucking around. But that's all I got for you on this one. Short one, but a fun one. I'm going to go ahead. Doesn't Stephen P. New kind of look like Alex Jones a little bit? Doesn't he remind you of Alex Jones? Just waiting for him to tell me that the frogs are gay. 
Oh, you didn't know? The Road Dog, along with the Casio Kid, Conrad Thompson's bestie, did an impromptu YouTube exclusive drop for the Oh, You Didn't Know podcast. And uh, this one was a bit of a banger, a bit newsworthy here as Road Dog opened up about you know all the shit that he was talking about CM Punk when he was in AEW and all of that bad drama, that bad energy that Road Dog put out into the world. What happened when now that CM Punk is in the WWE, Road Dog inevitably came face to face with the punker man himself in catering, of course, while they're getting their sandwiches. Check out this clip. Dog, you, you if at? anybody is a uh, listener of this show, they know you have spoke your mind about many people, including yep. one CM Punk. You have now run into the one and only Mr. CM Punk backstage. Yeah. Is that correct? Statement? That is, that is, that is a, a safe assumption. Um, so, so I look, I won't go into the details, but I will tell you that, uh, he and I, uh, the first, the first time I, I, I saw him and he was sitting at a catering table and he and I, uh, met eyes and he stood up and uh, we shook hands and we kind of didn't say anything for a minute. And then he literally, uh, and I feel safe sharing this because I shared it with him face to face the following day, uh, how impactful it was. He literally like shrugged his shoulders and went like, Oh, come on. And, and pulled me in and hugged me. And it, 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 uh, I'll tell you the truth. It made me feel immediately like a day hole. Like I'm, I'm a piece of crap. It, it, it humbled me in myself. If that, if that makes sense, I don't know how else you could humble yourself, but it, it humbled me in a way where I thought I, uh, have talked negatively about you and I've thought negatively about you and then you embrace me and, Wow. You know what I mean? And, 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 and it, look, it may not mean anything to anybody else. It may not mean a thing to you or to Dom or to anybody listening. Um, but to me, it, it, it meant a lot. And truth be told, I almost started crying, uh, because it was a bit of a, of an eye opener about it. I'll tell you this. It immediately made me feel like no matter what, the other person has done, no matter what other people have said or done, or you thought they did, or I thought they did or whatever to have that in my head and heart, uh, is only hurting me. You know what I mean? It's not, it ain't bothering him. None. It ain't bothering you any. It's so it's only in my head and heart and that's negativity. And it all drained out of me when he like shrug, like, Oh, come on. And, and it, it harkens me back to brothers. Don't shake hands. Brothers got a hug. <laughs> and, and it's, and he pulled me in and we hugged, dude. And it, 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 I don't know, man, it, it made me feel, it made me feel good for, for him to do that. By the way, it made me feel really good, but, but it made me immediately feel like ashamed of my behavior. You know, I could be that guy that points out the hypocrisy of guys like the Road Dog and even Booker T as well, to a lesser extent. All the trash that they talked about CM Punk 
when CM Punk was not in the WWE, now all of a sudden that they have to look at Punk every day, when Punk's in the locker room, walking by him, suddenly they ain't got shit to say. Now I could point that out and I could take that low road, but I'm going to take the high road here and I'm going to actually give the road dog some props. Uh, because I do believe in granting grace to people and allowing people to change their opinions, especially if it's for the better. And for Road Dog to to not just have this experience in his life, but to come out and openly, you know, be humble about it on his podcast to the world, to bear his soul, if you will. I'm going to actually give him a high five for this one. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. You know, it was something I criticized Road Dog about on this show about CM Punk. I said, look, for such a self-proclaimed godly man, a self-proclaimed man of God, he's all religious and stuff like that, supposedly changed. He carries a lot of hate and negativity in his heart, and he takes shots at people and has a good hearty laugh at people's expenses all the time. And to me, that doesn't speak to being a man of God. That speaks to being a childish bully in a lot of ways, you know, just a douchebag. And uh, he was being that, just that, when talking about CM Punk, having a good laugh at Punk's expense about everything. You know, Punk's whole run in AEW, there were shots taken by the road dog. Negative, negative shots. And uh, now that CM Punk is in WWE and CM Punk was the bigger man to stand up and open up to give road dog a hug, and it humbled the road dog. He's like, wow, I'm a piece of shit. I had said all this trash, carried all this negativity, and here's this man that I carry all this negativity and this hatred and this bad energy for and have said all this nasty stuff about, and he's sitting here willing to embrace me and sweep it all under the rug. Man, what a douchebag I am. And I hope he learns from that, and I hope he changes for the better as a person. People can change, but they have to be open to. They have to want to. I don't believe that people are the same forever, but I do believe that they have to work at it. You know, that kind of negativity can almost work like a disease. He has to consciously make the effort every day to consciously not speak that sort of shit into existence. He doesn't need to take those tones on his podcast. Now, look, it's a podcast and it's a show and it's good for ratings and it's fun to do, right? It's fun to take your little shots at people on your podcast. I just did it with the Road Dog. But at the same time... If a guy like Road Dog can finally at fucking what, pushing 60 now, can finally come to terms with the fact that he doesn't need to be an asshole and doesn't need to live in this negative world all the time where he's talking mad shit about everybody constantly, better for him, better on him, and, you know, he can kind of lift that weight off his shoulders and he can sleep better at night. I don't know why he carries that around with him. I think it's an ego thing. I think it's it's definitely like uh, you know like a, a protection mechanism of sorts, a defense mechanism um, to kind of hide his insecurities by putting down others. I think that's where it comes from because I do think Road Dog is a good guy. You know, I do think he's got a good heart overall. 
but I think he's got that grizzled, crusty outer core that, man, it's time to just let that shit go at this point, especially how late he is in his age, you know, in the game, retired. He's not, there's nothing to gain from trying to be, put other people down in the business or be the hard ass or the funny guy or the tough guy or the cool guy anymore. He's the road dog. He's a retired ass wrestler sitting in the back all fat and gray haired and stuff like he's not in the business anymore. He doesn't need to be cooler or get one over on CM Punk, bro, for the Internet fucking fan base. Doesn't need to happen anymore. Just chill out and be cool. And I'm glad that he came to that realization. I'm glad that he was humbled because this was something I noticed about Road Dog. And I flat out pointed out on this show the hypocrisy of Road Dog calling himself a religious man but t- being negative about all these different people. So hopefully that changes going forward. And hopefully, you know, Road Dog can be a little bit more listen toable because I don't listen to his show very often because it's it's kind of unbearable he's he's fairly he's a fairly annoying guy he talks a lot and he's kind of negative and just kind of like you know he likes to bust everybody's balls and just you know it's not my jam a little bit of it's funny but it it has its point where it gets to be too much but uh, just like this here clip has gotten to the point where it's too much. I'm going to wrap it up there. But I do want to know, what are your thoughts? Did you watch the whole uh, segment, the bonus episode that Road Dog put out? What did you think of it? If you haven't, I did link it in the description below, as always. And uh, that's all I got for you. Peace, love, and pizza. I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. With Cody Rhodes jumping ship, followed by Jade Cargill and now CM Punk, all making the move from AEW over to the WWE. Naturally, everybody's asking, who will be the next to jump ship? And the long-held rumor was that MJF, when his contract is up, At the end of 2023, the bidding war of 2024, we might see MJF end up in WWE, which would be a death blow to AEW at this point. But is it true? We've heard mixed rumors about this. It was first obviously put out there by MJF as part of the storyline. Um, but I believe it was uh, substantiated at the time that MJF's contract was up in 2024. But then we heard a rumor that after he had walked out or left or took his little time off there for a minute, came back and won the title, that he also had come back with a substantially better new contract which was the issue all along, and that secretly MJF was locked down well past 2024. Well, that was the long-held rumor uh, up until now, where MJF was on the SI Sports Illustrated Media podcast with Jimmy Traina, and uh, uh, Monk's talking about fellow Long Islander-type things. Uh, Between the two of them, uh, they got into the whole business of the MJF contract. And Jimmy Trina asked MJF flat out, are you going to be going to WWE in 2024? Is your contract up 
in 2024. MJF, kayfabe, not kayfabe, you be the judge. Here was his response. Now, there's all this stuff about your contract. Now, this is what I, you can't trust what you read. This is what I've read. I read in nine, that you had signed a five year deal. It's up in 2024. Then there was something that said you secretly re signed with AEW. (laughs) There was stuff where you went on TV and blasted AEW. So, can you tell us on December 18th, 2023, what the status is? I've never lied. January 1st, 2024. Um, when stuff like that gets leaked out, it makes me laugh because I remember something got leaked out about Cody having secretly resigned and then he showed up, uh, something got leaked out about, you know, CM Punk and Tony Khan are, you know, actually fine. You know, like I, I think fans leak out things that they want to be true. I love AEW. I want to stay in AEW. Um, after this pay-per-view, um, it's time to assess the situation from a professional setting. So, so you have not resigned, not yet. Okay. Obviously, when your contract's up, you have a lot to consider on any all sides of the fence. Yes. And I think with you know, obviously, money's an issue. There's travel dates. There's this, that, the, where you are. I just want to pimp, focus in on one thing about this that I for you specifically, which I find interesting. Will it cross your mind and your head at all to think, can I be full MJF, Maxwell, Jacob Freeman over there where they're so PG? And will I be happy if I had to do that? Is that a factor in your decision? I just don't know how the fuck you put a leash on me. And that, that, I swear to God, that's my honest opinion. I'm sorry I've now cursed twice. You can, it's fine. Like, it's fine. This isn't WWE. I, you could say fuck. I don't, <laughs> thank fucking God. I, I don't know. I don't think anybody can hold me back from being the monster that I am. I think right. I think my career trajectory in any company is going to be exactly the same. Does anybody really know at this point? Could anybody really know at this point? What is true? What's not true? Here's what I think. I think MJF wouldn't be the world's champion right now if he wasn't already locked down for a, a longer period of time than January. I don't think uh, Tony Khan would be waiting this long to lock MJF down. I think he would have made him several big offers by this point if MJF was turning down any original offer. Uh, Tony should be trying to lock him down as best as he can. MJF has said, you know, I do want to be a free agent and hear WWE out. He wants that bidding war. And though I do think that MJF is bound for WWE at some point in his career, I don't know that this will be the time. I think uh, I don't think MJF would be where he is on the card right now if his contract, if he was not still signed to AEW, or his you know future was in question going into 2024. And I could be completely wrong. Tony Khan is not always been the best businessman in the world when it comes to stuff like this. You know, Jade Cargill, prime example. And uh, even Cody Rhodes was a TNT champion without a contract. So it's not like Tony wouldn't or hasn't in the past left a title on somebody that may or may not be around next month. Um, 
I think we'll know if Samoa Joe beats MJF. If MJF wins that match, then MJF's probably still signed to AEW. And I can't imagine that Samoa Joe is going to go forward as the new AEW champion. He's a top guy, but maybe not the top guy. So I don't, I, I, I can't see him being the guy to dethrone MJF. So I just don't see it at this point. I think it was accurately reported that somewhere along the way MJF had re-signed. I think this came out when uh, WWE insiders had noted that there was no conversations between them and MJF. And as far as they were, he is not going to be available anytime soon, so he's not anybody that they're considering. Now, of course, we have all heard these stories before, as recently with Punk. Sean Ross Sapp was told by WWE officials that zero conversation had taken place with Punk, and whether it had or had not at that point doesn't mean that, you know, as Triple H said, it was a very last-minute thing. It doesn't mean that it could not still come through at the 12th hour, the 11th hour, whatever the fuck the saying is. So MJF, uh, if his contract is up, Best believe WWE is going to make a play for him. I just don't know. I don't think that this is that time yet. I think MJF will stick around in AEW for a little bit longer. And uh, as far as, you know, being able to fully be MJF in WWE, I think they'll just, they'll, he'll have to do a toned down version of it, which is fine. He will be able to adjust. He is a professional like that. And uh, if the money's there, and the potential to, you know, have that kind of bright WrestleMania Hall of Fame future is ahead of him. I think he'll be more than happy to sacrifice a little bit of his edge. But we shall see. He could also be that guy that is a diehard flag bearer for AEW. You know, as long as Tony Khan is paying him what he's looking to get paid, he'll stick with Tony and be loyal. Who knows? It could come down to, you know, is it just a money thing? of which Tony is able to compete? Or is it uh, a matter of, you know, AEW's not looking so hot right now, WWE's doing great? Now, that could change at any point in time. But for now, AEW does, or WWE does sound like the shinier place to be, does it not? But time will tell. But it is my guess that MJF is staying put. Would love to know your thoughts. Let me know down in the comments below. Did you listen to this interview with MJF? He did also talk a little bit about CM Punk. Said he's happy for the guy, basically. And, you know, it's business. And if he works out for him there, good for him. He talks about, uh, you know, being inducted into the Jewish Sports Hall of Fame and that whole, you know, all the stuff going on with his people currently so there's a lot of other good tidbits in this interview i do recommend checking it out i have linked it in the description for you below with that said i'm gonna go ahead and move on please hit that subscribe button down below if you liked it peace love and pizza i'm gonna go on to the next i hate juggalos i fucking hate them I say all this with a grain of salt because for a good part of my own life, I proudly identified as a juggalo. You should come to the gathering with me. Nah, man. I'm not into all that whoop whoop shit anymore. I'll pay for your ticket. I got fired today. Get the fuck out! Still got room for me? Spike, slow the fuck down! Cops! Fuck your sleep. 
Fuck your sleep. Fuck your sleep. The savages started closing in with their tiki torches and war paint. Shit. Run. You guys got a dead body here already? Even the aliens were throwing shade. It was pure panic and intense horror. There was a guy I saw got chopped in half. I had nothing left to go back to. You alive? Yep. The Gathering. A bold journey into the belly of the Juggalo underworld. Believe it or not, one of my biggest inspirations for this YouTube channel that I do is Mr. Beast. The biggest YouTuber on the planet. If you have not heard of Mr. Beast, you should have. He is indeed the biggest YouTuber on the planet. Millions of views, millions and millions and millions of views on every video. Bar none, and they're all bangers. And I like to watch from time to time. My kids expose me to Mr. Beast, and I'm like, hey, man, he's pretty cool. So from time to time, I watch a few videos, and I was just sitting down, just curled up on the couch to watch a cute little doggo video. Mr. Beast adopts 100 dogs that were slated to die, to be killed off, to put to sleep. And he adopted them all, and he gave each and every single one of them new homes. And that was the point of the whole video. So why am I talking about this on a wrestling channel? Well... Because just randomly, out of nowhere, he's not announced to be in the video, he's not on the thumbnail, he's not in the title, just completely out of nowhere, about halfway through this video, Dave Batista shows up on the Mr. Beast YouTube channel to help give away some doggos. Just randomly. Check out this clip. This time, Dave's doing the adoption. Let's see how good of an actor he is. Dave, when they walk in, bark and woof to them as a dog. It's an everyday thing for me. <laughs> oh, it's kids. Hello, how are you? All right, you can stop, you can stop. I don't want to make it too hard on him. Sorry for barking, I've been speaking to dogs all day. And we have a prize for you. We have a huge prize for you guys. Free pet food for life from Jinx, and we also have pet insurance for life for your pup, yeah. Oh, wow, that's amazing. But wait, there's actually one more surprise. There's actually one more surprise. And then go to the beach painting, turn it around, and show them what it says on the back. Can I get the picture? <laughs> no way! <laughs> Thanks, guys. With Dave now a part of the team, we were adopting dogs faster than ever before. Man, he has drastically slimmed down, has he not? Even as the last Guardians of the Galaxy movies that I watched, the Christmas one from last year and Guardians 3, Batista looked even a little bit chubby. You know, like maybe he was, you know, just kind of putting on a little weight. He even started wearing the shirt as, as Drax the Destroyer, and we all know Drax's gimmick is he doesn't wear the shirt because it hurts his nipples and stuff. It's uncomfortable. But he started wearing a shirt because he, you can see he's starting to get the chin and everything, the double chin. It's like Batista's losing weight and he even or gaining weight and he even said, you know, look, man, this is hard for me to uh, maintain the body needed to be Drax the Destroyer. But here he's fucking slimmed right down to nothing. He's scrawny as shit. I'm sure he's lean and ripped as fuck, but he's as far as size, you know, the the animal Batista, the. It's not him anymore. It's a different guy. It's fun to see where Batista's come, you know, to see him like just randomly, uh, to, for him to be such a pop culture icon that he's just 
randomly in a Mr. Beast video of all things. A uh, huge movie star, acclaimed movie star, by the way. He has not made as much money or reached the top star power or been in as many big blockbuster movies as, say, The Rock. But he's certainly a better actor than The Rock. I would argue that Batista is the greatest wrestler-turned-actor of all time. Better actor than Roddy Piper. Better actor than Hulk Hogan. Duh. Better actor than The Rock. Better actor than John Cena. A bigger star? No. Richer? No. But, man, the range of Batista, the types of roles that he can play from the comedy of, like, a Drax the Destroyer to the more, uh, you know, that one where he plays, like, the the cab the, the creepy cultist in the, the woods cabin guy. And, like, just all, just, he's got such a wide range. Batista's a megastar, and I'm so proud of this guy, and he's so humble, so kind. And even in this video, as you saw, you know, he was all, had a warm spot for that doggo. And in the end, you know, he had to, he he was called to give the consent to let that doggo get adopted. And he's just a sweet man, just a big, strong beast of a man, but a kind, gentle soul. And uh, one of the biggest stars to ever come out of professional wrestling. And I never would have called it during Batista's heyday. I never saw him as a top, top, top level star. He was always like a... You know, he could always be a main eventer at any time, but he wasn't like The Rock or John Cena to me. You know, he was always just a step below that. And uh, But, man, his Hollywood career has taken off, and it was fun to see him pop up in a Mr. Beast video. And hopefully we see more of Dave in wrestling as well. He doesn't really drop in to do cameos or anything. He really, really should. Anytime that they're in L.A. or wherever the fuck he's at, they should have Batista just cameo, even if it's just a backstage thing, saying hi to Hunter, or just coming out to say hi to the crowd. Uh, you know, like an old Undertaker spot where like a, a young guy, like a Grayson Waller, comes out to like talk shit, and then he ends up getting fucking clotheslined or fucking you know get the uh, spinebuster or some shit like that. Why not? I don't know why Batista's not around wrestling anymore, but uh, it was great to see him. And I wanted to share it with you guys. It has nothing to do with wrestling other than it's our man, Batista. But he's in a Mr. Beast video. And for me, that's newsworthy. So hopefully you found it newsworthy as well. But if not, it doesn't fucking matter. I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. There was a rather interesting conversation to be had on Grilling JR this week with Conrad and Jim Ross, where uh, they were talking about the macho man Randy Savage. And we've all heard the rumors of why macho man was kind of blackballed from the WWE. A lot of people just piss on those rumors altogether, and some people do say that there is a little bit of smoke to that fire, a little bit of fire to that smoke, if you will, baby. But in this conversation here, uh, it kind of perked my ears up. Could there just be a more simpler expl explanation for why Randy Savage was never brought back to the WWE before he died? Um a very, very simple explanation, and it's just, uh, I didn't want to. Check out this clip. And there's been lots of rumor and innuendo as to why 
Randy was never brought back into the fold. It feels like Vince was able to forget and forgive and, or whatever it is with, uh, with Scott Hall, with Kevin Nash, with the ultimate warrior. That's being a good promoter. You sign guys that you believe are going to make you money, whether you like them or not, whether you're going to have Christmas dinner with them, or you're going to exchange gifts or whatever. I'm being facetious, but if they help your company's bottom line, you can forgive and forget a lot of things that happened prior to that. Cause still the bottom line for the stockholders and for your partners and for your company is to make a profit and significantly increase that bottom line as, as regularly as possible. And we all knew that Randy was going to be, is a, you know, he's a star, a great name identity. So, uh, you know, I didn't get along with him, but that don't mean nothing. Don't mean a thing other than we had different philosophies and he was a little bit of a bully and, uh, unpredictable. And maybe that's what made him a star. If it did more power to him. Well, Jim, I got to ask, you know, I think a lot of people just automatically, cause listen, there's silly, stupid rumors and gossip out there. That's not true about why Randy wouldn't have been brought back. And it was a personal issue with Vince and blah, blah, blah. But to hear what you just said, I'm reminded of the fact that, Hey, you're running talent relations. And if you weren't necessarily high on him, maybe we don't need to look any further. Or, or do you think ultimately your, uh, feeling and position was, Hey, he's not going to wrestle. So what are we going to do with him? Why would we entertain a conversation with Randy? Well, and he's going to get paid a lot of money. If you're going to get him, he's going to, he's going to have a nice, uh, uh, nice sticker. Yeah. You know, I don't know what the MSRP is going to be on that deal, but it's going to be a lot of money and he's not going to wrestle, uh, or we didn't think he was going to wrestle. So, uh, I don't know, Connie, I, I just never clicked with him, but I, I was, I refused to allow that to inter interfere with my daily duties, uh, in administration because you don't have to be an idiot. You'd be an idiot not to see the star power. He's Randy Savage for God's sake. Of course. Yeah. So, uh, I wasn't going to go against my team and. Uh, cause I didn't personally get along with him. You know, he was Vince's guy. He, he was always very close to Vince and that was good enough for me. I, I handed him off. I don't, I don't need to be involved. I tend to believe Jim Ross here. I don't think Jim Ross is cr grumpy and curmudgeon-y as he is. I don't think he's one to just hold a grudge to the point where it's going to affect business, right? If the Macho Man Randy Savage coming into the WWE was good for business at any point in time, when JR was the head of talent relations, that call would have been made. Now, there's also a fine window here. We can look at it a couple ways. One, was Macho Man's contract ever up for negotiation while he was in WCW? If so, that would have been under the, the uh, overseeing of Jim Ross. If there would have been in any kind of incident, and Hulk Hogan did this, but I don't recall hearing if Mach did or did not, um, where Mach's contract would have came up during his WCW run where he would have had a negotiation to see if there was any interest on the WWE side. And at that point, he would have ran into Jim Ross to negotiate with where Jim Ross probably wouldn't have had any interest in him. Now, if it came directly from Vince to hire him, then JR obviously would have. 
And, you know, like I said, I tend to think that JR would have hired him anyway if it was a good business move. Um, but maybe it wasn't. You know, for one, we don't know if, if Mach's contract ever even became available during his WCW run. He might have been signed the whole time or just re-signed right away without even negotiating with the WWE. Um, I don't know that it's the case. I'm sure Meltzer has it in the Observer somewhere along the way. Uh, but in that case, you know, what would be the benefits of bringing in Mach? Star power, sure, but he's old when you're trying to push this newer, younger Attitude Era generation. And he would have been very limited in the ring at that point. And, you know, he was kind of an egomaniac as well. Uh, the other time where Mach would have been available would have been when WCW went out of business. And Jim Ross could have had a look at him then as well. But I, I think Mach would have fell under that category of Hogan and Nash and everybody else that was sitting home on a Ted Turner contract, a Turner Network contract and not a WCW contract where they were sitting home getting fat paid to do absolutely nothing. And they were not going to get that fat paid to go to the WWE nor, you know, does it sound like there would have been any interest in Mach at that time. But that would have been the second opportunity if Mach was interested that he would have dealt with JR. After that, it would have gone through Johnny Ace and JR would not have been involved with the negotiation anymore. Uh, Johnny Ace took over shortly after the fall of WCW. I think JR was still uh, helming the hiring books at that time. When uh, a lot of those WCW guys were coming in, but I want to say by shit, what is that? By WrestleMania, that was would have been WrestleMania 17 and 18. I would say by Mania 19 or 20, it was definitely Johnny Ace in talent relations at that time. And Macho did a stint in TNA in the early years, but never really came back to wrestling after that, which always kind of fed into those rumors that there was some significant heat brother brother between macho and the wwe and it has to go beyond macho went to wcw because everybody went to wcw jeff jarrett fucking stood them up for money ultimate warrior stood them up for money this is not a thing Mach would you know like Mach saying look i i would rather wrestle than sit at the commentary table please i'm, I'm just gonna go to wcw Vince is not going to hold a grudge to just never, ever mention Macho Man again or bring him back again or anything like that. So there was something more to it, and that feeds into the whole Stephanie rumors, though she would have been a little underage at the time, I do believe, or just freshly 18. And who knows? She could have been a starry-eyed little girl who grew up watching Mach and always had a crush on him or something and wanted to get her some of that. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, a lot of people deny it, but the rumor exists because it's such a weird circumstance around the Macho Man being such a huge WWE star for such a long time and then just nothing. Never coming back, never being mentioned, no highlight packages, no legends deals, no Hall of Fame while he was alive. Nothing at all. So... Uh, it leaves that out there for speculation, but it could just be as simple as Jim Ross was in charge of talent relations and he didn't want to, but who knows? Wrestlers is one of the biggest surprise hits on Netflix this year. 
getting huge ratings, and I do believe it will actually be renewed for a second season. This is the show that follows OVW, the Ohio Valley Wrestling, the infamous OVW that was the prior to NXT and FCW was the breeding ground, if you will, for the next WWE superstar. That's where John Cena came from. That's where Batista came from. Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, Shelton Benjamin. They all came up through OVW. In fact, Jim Cornette was a part of it at that time. And now Al Snow is the head chief man in charge over at OVW, and they're still running strong, both as a school and as an independent promotion. Uh, but he is not doing it alone. He has a businessman helping him out by the name of Matt Jones. And Matt Jones was on the Busted Open podcast this week talking about the success of wrestlers. We're going to play you that clip, and then I'm going to give you my personal review of wrestlers on the back end but first check out matt jones of the show wrestlers talking about what it means to ovw well first of all i mean you guys know this significantly better than i do i did not realize when i came in wrestling's not like any other business in many Mm -hmm. ways Mm -hmm. but especially in the ways they look at outsiders so like i've been in parts of a lot of businesses and when we would come in a lot of times they were happy to see us I don't know if that's always true in wrestling. I mean, I think if you're not one of the wrestling people, there's a suspicion about you. And I completely understand that. Um, I think I, I I didn't handle things perfectly at first. I treated it like it was a regular business. I sort of treated it like going, okay, everybody, let's do this, this, and this. And you just can't do that in wrestling. And I had to learn that lesson. And that was my fault. I've learned a lot in uh, my other ventures based on this. Um, I think it got better over time. Honestly, the Netflix special was how it happened because my vision was we got to have some splash. We got to have something big happen. So I came up with this idea for this Netflix show. So, so got Netflix on board, et cetera. I kept telling the wrestlers there's, they're doing this documentary on us. The cameras came, they followed us. And you guys know this, you've been in the business. They still didn't believe me. It was going to happen. They honestly (laughs) thought that like, They were so cynical about it that they didn't believe me. And it really wasn't until the trailer came out a month before the show came out that they were like, wow, this is real. This is really going to happen. And then all of a sudden, I think they saw my greater vision and it became a lot better. And the relationship is good now. My other vision was we got to get people to remember we exist. And if we can get a documentary It'll be perfect. Now, did I expect Netflix to do it? Did I expect one of the best sports directors in the world to do it? No, but then it happened and everything fell into place and it worked. You said three years. It wasn't an overnight success. No. Like it it was. And if wrestlers, if the Netflix show doesn't come out, it might still not be a success. I mean, we were improving, but we needed a break. I mean, I'll give you an example. Like take your old show. This is a great platform. You guys wouldn't have had us on a year ago. You wouldn't have. I mean, you've had a lot of folks from our organization on, you know, Jesse and Al, et cetera. Al may have been on, but the rest of us, you wouldn't have had me. We needed something to kind of put us on the wrestling map. We were on the map in Kentucky, but I wanted to be on the map around the world. And this was the way to make it happen. 
congrats to Matt. Congrats to Al Snow. Congrats to everybody involved with the wrestler show. A huge hit on Netflix. A huge hit for OVW. For the wrestling business in general. Now, as far as the Netflix show, like I said, I do believe they will get renewed, which is fantastic. Uh, it follows the dying, if you will, independent promotion of OVW, as ran by Al Snow. And he's kind of taken on some outside financial investors. This Matt Jones fellow that we just listened to, for example, local radio guy, car dealership guy, I think, you know, local businessman, a couple other investors. And they're coming in and they're trying to turn the business around. And there's a little bit of a butting heads between, you know, the wrestling way of doing things and the business way of doing things to actually make money. Um, and then it follows a lot of the talent, too. And a lot of these talent are very interesting and some not so much, you know, uh, some quite depressing. You know, it follows, for example, Haley J, Hollywood Haley J, the big star of the show. This little white trash. She reminds me of, uh, if anybody's ever watched the show Ozark, she's like Ruthie, but the wrestler. She's just a little white trash, firecracker, blonde, talks kind of uh, ghetto. And she's just, uh, you know, like a big mouth, like coming out swinging. Trailer park bitch, right? Hot, though, like a dirty trailer park. A little, little dirty trailer park blondie. Um but she's got the personality and attitude to be a star. I don't know if she's got the talent. I don't, you can't really see as much. Can't say I've gone online to watch any full matches or anything. But she's there. Her mom's there. Um, they kind of tell that story of their relationship as her mom was an independent worker as well. And uh, the cycle just continues. And it follows guys like the She-Ra guy who was in the WWE system for a little bit. Now he's out and he came to this country to be a success in wrestling and he doubts himself and he's not sure if he will and he gets injured and, and, and he's like OVW's top guy at the time. Uh, there's this old guy, Cash Flow. He's kind of like the washed up guy who's, you know, he started out on the scene but he never quite made it. But he still just refuses to hang up the tights and he's still a big part of OVW. But he's not really anything in the greater scheme of pro wrestling. And it's a lot of those kind of stories. Hollywood Haley J's boyfriend, uh, Dark Storm, I think his name is or whatever, had a little bit of, you know, I think he was in TNA for, for uh, you know, a cup of coffee or something like that. And now he's still trying to make it. And it's the story of all these guys. And then it concludes with Al's big return. He comes back for one last match to pop the territory. Uh, you know, it's a little bit depressing. It's dark. It's got that beyond the mat darkness feel, you know, just the hopelessness, the dreariness, these guys that were, you know, didn't their dreams. They never made it as they dreamed, you know, their dreams never came true. Or these people that are out there trying to make it, but aren't necessarily succeeding yet. There's, you know, uh, drug juggies, uh, drug junkies, <laughs> juggies, um, you know, there's a character with a drug problem that ends up getting booted out of OVW. There's, It's very real life. It's a very good depiction of what it's like to be on the indie scene, to run an indie show uh, from all aspects. The business side, the booking side through Al, the business side through this Matt Jones, the talent side. 
through the roster and all their bitching and complaining about their spots and what they're going to be doing and this and that and the other thing. I don't know if any of these people, um, Layla Gray, she was on the show and she actually did get signed to AEW and that was uh, one of the last episodes she announced she got signed to AEW. So if you recognize her, she was on the show um, from AEW. I think Hollywood, Hollywood Haley J. If anybody's going to make it out of here, it's going to be her based on personality alone. I don't know, even size-wise, I don't know if she'll make it as a wrestler, but she could absolutely be a manager or something. she got a big mouth. She can talk, and she gets the wrestling business. You know, She gets the showmanship of it, and she's tough. She can take a bump, take a hit. So uh, cool stuff there, and just you know to catch up with Al and see Al's struggle. Al trying to run this company and struggle with his legacy. This company is his legacy, essentially. So uh, it's about seven episodes, the whole series. Each episode's an hour long. Uh, Takes you very much inside, behind the scenes of all of that. Like I said, the wrestlers, the booking, the, the business side. It's a great show that Netflix really did put together, but it's very... Uh, it's got that beyond the mat feel. It's going to kind of leave you feeling a little icky after. And so maybe it's not necessarily a binge worthy show, at least not for me to each his own. You might like it. Um, but I feel like it plays a little bit more on the darkness of the wrestling business than the, the happier upper upside of it. And it's not necessarily a good look for wrestling in all cases, but it is a good, uh, you know, it does tell good stories. And, and that's what wrestling is there for. And it, and it shows a fun, different side of the wrestling business that you don't get to see on the mainstream level through AEW or WWE. This is a continuation of everything that Dark Side, uh, not Dark Side, uh, Beyond the Mat was as a documentary showing that lower side. You know, and some of these guys get called up for like dark matches at AEW or whatever. And it's just that ongoing story of being a wrestler. Um, it's a good show. I recommend watching it if you're on the fence or if you haven't watched it all the way through, you probably should. You're going to come out. Uh, definitely the star of the show is Hollywood Haley J, Al Snow, this Matt Jones guy. I wasn't a huge fan of him at first. You know, he was definitely positioned as the outsider business guy coming in to kind of throw his two cents where it doesn't belong. But I think, you know, they tell his story too where he – kind of earns your respect by the end and you actually like Matt too and you see where he's coming from and it's just it's a good story it's a very good story but it, it's uh it's it's dark it's real and I don't want to say dark like nothing really bad happens it's just there's a very unglamorous side of wrestling that's portrayed and the sound the score to it you know it's got the darker tones and all of that. So you'll see what I mean if you watch it. But all, all in all, it's a very well-produced documentary on the rise of OVW. And I think if they get renewed, I think it'll be cool because I, this changed them. So now this is going to be a big step up for them. More exposure going into the next season. It's going to be hot if they get another season. So I am excited to see that. But I would love to know what your thoughts were. Let me know down in the comments below. Did you watch the show? Did you like the show? What did you think of Wrestlers on Netflix? And if you haven't, what are you waiting for? Go check that shit out. It is a good watch. It gets my thumbs up. Plus, you kind of want to smash it, Lee Jake. 
Let me tell you something, brother. You can check out full episodes each and every Sunday right here on this channel, dude. Don't forget to like, don't forget to subscribe, and don't forget to take your vitamins and say your prayers, brother. That's it, y'all. That's all I got for you this week. Like I said, a little bit of a shorter episode than usual, but it is Christmas after all, and I do have family and such, so I'm going to go do that. Plus, you guys do, do, do you do too. You don't want to just sit around and listen to me for hours upon hours over the holidays, so uh, here you go. A nice little short episode. Again, will not be an episode next week. Uh, for the New Year's, but I'll be back after that in 2024. So I will catch you in 2024. <laughs> See you next year, pal. Lots of fun things happening in 2024. My big announcement still to come for the future of this show. And also uh, lots of other little fun projects along the way. Again, a short plug for uh, my bonus video that I put up where I fix AEW. It's a fantasy. I was, you know, a little fantasy role play where I've been hired to be the interim CEO and creative of AEW. And I am in charge of fixing all of their problems. And I list my 10 ways that I would fix AEW. That'll be in my end card. So you can, you know, if you watch to the end of the video, you can just click on that. Otherwise, it will be in the playlist as well for the Pro Wrestling Podcast podcast. With all of that said, I'm going to go ahead and get the fuck out of here. Peace, love, and pizza. I am your boy, Seth Grimes, as always. And this has been the Pro Wrestling Podcast podcast.